I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of democracy. May the turbulence of our age yield to the true time of peace, when men and nations shall share a life that honors the dignity of each, the brotherhood of all. I see a world of open borders, open trade, and most importantly, open open mind. Hello, this is To the Republic with Jake and Jeff, a show dedicated to exploring civics, history, and U.S. institutions. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. It's been a while, Jake. It has been a while. I think we took a month off. Yeah. It it feels like way longer than that, but Mm -hmm. it feels good to be back. Um, To the Republic is something that we love to do, but... It is something that comes with a lot of work, and we put a lot of time into it, you know? It does, and our lives have been kind of hectic the last couple of months. Yeah, so let's take a moment to update. Yeah, I think, and also it's important that we kind of connect with our audience. For sure. Since the first episode, we've kind of not really talked about ourselves, so we'd mm-hmm. like to, for you guys, the audience, to get to know us mm-hmm. a little bit. So what's going on with you? Um, well, I started grad school. Yeah. Um, so those of you who haven't listened to the first episode, Jeff and I both met mm-hmm. while um, doing our undergraduate work at WSU Vancouver, mm-hmm. and uh, we graduated with our undergrad with our uh, bachelor's in history. Yep. And we both had minors. Jeff was in English, and I was in political science. Um, so now I, I've started grad school at American University, yeah. uh, which is in Washington D.C. And my um, I'll be. I'm pursuing a master's in international relations. Yeah, so cool. And you are going to be starting grad school. Yeah, I am starting grad school. I'm continuing at Washington State University. I'm, you know, since doing the radio show and since doing the podcast, I've just really fallen love, w- fallen in love with um, communications. Mm-hmm. So the the master's program is uh, master's of strategic communications. So that starts in August. Um, but it's kind of been fun watching you start the process and knowing, you know, what's ahead. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work, which is, you know, starting that journey at the same time we had, uh, what would have been the same week that we would have had to have a May episode due right. was just way too much. Right. And you've had a lot going on For in sure. your life. So it's, uh, we just needed to take a step back. Yep. Yep. So well, we're excited to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get started on on content, what we wanted to talk about, um, one thing that uh, both Jake and I wanted to do was we wanted to provide a place for listeners um, out there who who want to contact contact us about whatever we're talking about or maybe an idea for the show or a topic. Um, contact us by our email. Um, our email is it's uh, for our podcast, um, which is called Say What You Mean Podcast. Um, but the email is s w y m podcast at gmail.com and just again that's s w y m podcast at gmail.com and yeah we want to we want to create this this interaction between you guys it's not just us being talking heads and just saying just speaking into a mic we want you guys to give us feedback um let us know we did have a caller contact the radio station and give some feedback and we appreciate that but this way you can contact us directly and we can kind of open that line of communication mm-hmm. and that and that particular um colin was in regards to our episode on the republican party mm-hmm. and if you're listening to this episode um sorry we weren't we weren't able to get in touch with you so please reach out to us again we'd love to interact get your thoughts on the episode get your thoughts on you know things the idea the ideas and the concepts and stuff we we we, we 
you know, we put out there generally. If you have comments and want to get into a discussion with us mm-hmm. via email, we would love to have that opportunity. And one thing that you and I have talked a little bit about is also call-ins. Like, we can set up a call-in during any time um, so that we can have a live conversation and we can put that on these episodes because these episodes are pre-recorded. Um, but we can totally set something like that up, and mm-hmm. I think it would be super fun. We have the technology. We do have the technology. <laughs> um, and next, uh, the second annual Backstage block party for KXRW. Join us on Saturday, June 29th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at Say Chow Eatery and Tap Room for a fun afternoon of food, drinks, live music, games, and community. Bring along your family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors to support your local radio station. And we're- I think we're going to be... We're, we'll be speaking there. Yeah. So you'll get to see us. There's a meet and greet with um, current... Uh, hosts and new hosts, so the hosts from the Mud Club and uh, voices from our community, and then Jake and I will be there, so you can meet and greet and talk to us. If you want to talk to us about the show, come there. That'll be super fun. Um, tickets are $25 for solo tickets and $40 for a duo, um, and kids 12 and under are free, so it's going to be it's gonna be fun. Mm-hmm. Live music and all that. I've played music my whole life, so I'm excited to watch. It'll be fun. Yeah, and uh, one last, just one last thing I wanted to throw out there, just yeah. kind of popped in my mind. Um, we're constantly looking for new ideas for these shows. Yeah. Um, so if you've got something you want us to explore more in depth, some pr- you know part of civics in the U- of the U.S. government, something that you specific, an institution you want us to look at, a bureaucracy, um, let us know. And, and yeah, absolutely. That would, that would really, <laughs> honestly, that would help us out. <laughs> yeah, we've done we've done voting. We've looked at the Republican Party. We've looked at public opinion. We've looked at. Um, what else? We've also done democratic norms, um, right. branches of the U.S. government, and voting the voting structure yeah. um, and voting rules. So we're looking at U.S. institutions, history, and all of that. So if you have any suggestions or, or particular subjects that you'd like us to explore, like Jake said, um, it, it helps us with guidance or suggestions. We have a backlog of ideas that we do want to approach, but if you have something specific that you'd like to hear about or talk to us about then totally reach out on that email um and we'll see what we can do yeah so what are we talking about today jake so i guess following in line with um the whole you know we you know would take in suggestions about yeah. what to talk about and this kind of jumped up to the front of our docket mm-hmm. when um the uh the president of the of the station susan uh reached out to us um who was reached out to by a uh, washington nonprofit to mm-hmm. uh talk on talk about a kind of a um Hot button issue. Yeah. And that's the U.S. Census. Yeah. Uh, there's a big Supreme Court ruling supposed to happen at the end of this month mm-hmm. on whether uh, this the, U- the U.S. Census for 2020 would incorporate a citizenship question. Mm-hmm. So we thought um, in the spirit of this current kind of political movement mm-hmm. um, concerns that we would address the history of the U.S. Census, its importance and its use. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's always important to get a foundational understanding of of a topic, and we're going to do that. We're going to look at its history, like you said, um, but also look at some historical contentions. Um, but most importantly, how is the census used? Why is it taken? Um, and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good plan. America, crowded streets in the city, any city across the breadth and depth of the nation. For the United States is in the midst of a population boom. Every eight and a half seconds, a new citizen gets a slap on the back and lets the new world know he's arrived to join the ranks of the birth bonanza. 
And so, at the Washington Census Bureau, President Johnson waited for the population indicator to clock up the country's biggest all-time score of 200 million people. Slowly, the indicator crept up to the grandest grand total in the history of the United States. And there it was. And experts reckon that at the current rate of birth acceleration, a 300 million total is possible by the turn of the century. But they couldn't care less what the figure is or will be. That's for the grown-ups to worry about. So, on a very basic level, um, a census is an official count or survey of a population typically recording various details of individuals. Okay. So, I want to just kind of jump right into this. Yeah. Um, so, the U.S. Census is actually a constitutional mandate mm-hmm. um, from Article 1, Section 2. So it's by con- you know, so it's instituted by Congress, right. but carried out by the executive branch. Um, the uh, U.S. Constitution um, does require that the uh, census be conducted every 10 years. Outside of that, it really has very little parameters. Right. So you definitely see a lot of change over the years. Um, the very first census was conducted in 1790. And then mm-hmm. every 10 years after that, it's a, or, or what's known as a decennial census. Yeah. Um, it extend it ex- originally was only a population count mm-hmm. and only included six, six questions. Um, over the years that was expanded in its scope to now it, it's, there's hundreds of, there's been hundreds of different questions asked yeah. at different times throughout history. Yeah. Um, the first major, it became clear after 1790, um, the federal government realized that we need a lot more demographic in- information. So they, sure. there was three basic categories originally in the uh, early uh, 1800s. Mm-hmm. They looked at demo- uh, demographic, so more uh, racial, racial okay. um, based questions, agricultural and economic mm-hmm. um, segments right. as well. Um, to And kind of the, the ideology behind that was really to kind of gauge the military and industrial potential of the country right because as the country is starting to expand um both you know westward and starting to look at itself you know what what kind of potential does the united states have as, sure. a, as a global power and, and the best way to get a hold of that is a take a take stock of what your capabilities are what your population is right so that was kind of the underlying motivation behind the census early um so the 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 bureau the census bureau mm-hmm. was um Originally put under the Department of the Interior, yep. and now is under now under the Department of Commerce. Right, I think it moved under different departments several times in, in the, its history in the late 1800s. Yeah, yeah. so it was um, so originally it was under the Department of Interior, then it moved right. to the Department of Commerce and Labor, mm-hmm. and then Commerce and Labor split. split yeah, and then the um, the now the Census Bureau is under stayed with the Department of Commerce. Right. Okay. so that's where it resides today. Right, and real quick later in the show, you know, we're gonna we're gonna look at. Um, like I said, some of the contentions um, historically with the census, maybe some problems that they ran across. Um, one thing that you'll read about or learn about if you if you look into the census is different racial definitions. Um, but before we get into any of that, I wanted to first list these first census six questions. Um, so the first six questions of the first census that should be like a a tongue twister the first census asked by the six only six questions (laughs) sorry (laughs) anyway so i gotta have fun with it or it's just sad yeah so they they name uh they asked for the name of the householder white male um names of all other people in the household and they separated that into five categories so they uh there was free white males who were at least 16 years or older 
free white males who were under 16 years old, and then free white females, and then all other free persons, and then slaves, and they only counted on a ratio of three-fifths. Um, and Native Americans weren't counted until 1870. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting to note that it's they separated the males by their age mm-hmm. below 16 and above 16. And then for women, it was just like free white females. Well, I mean, I think if you think about it, right. So then when we just mentioned that the whole purpose of the original census was to gauge, but the first census was to gauge right. the military and industrial, um, uh, military industrial potential, potential, yeah. sorry, for, <laughs> but it makes sense. Like 16 years old mm-hmm. would be like military ready or right. like labor, right. you know, labor ready. So I, I get where that question For comes sure. from. And then also historically at this time in the nation, the only people who could own property right. were free white males. Right. So that would be, that's probably where that, where those delineations oh, come from. Yeah. So um, just to kind of go along just a timeline here yeah. of important, important census where there's important, important um, changes to the census yeah. or additions to the census. So in 1810, the census began to collect economic data we briefly mentioned that, but mm-hmm. um, specifically that was looking at the, the quantity and value of manufactured goods. Okay. So kind of along with that industrial mm-hmm. potential. Um, 1850, the census began collecting social statistics, mm-hmm. information about taxes, education, crime, value of estate, et cetera. Okay. So that, that's, um, you know, that, that's an interesting, something I think was kind of early for that right for that to think that it mattered but mm-hmm. uh, apparently in 1850 they thought it did mm-hmm. um in 1940 uh, the census added additional questions on internal migration mm-hmm. uh, veteran status and the number of children ever born to a woman mm-hmm. so i think this is interesting because i think this points to that the census is very much a part of the time in which it's being taken absolutely and that um those questions in 1940, mm-hmm. think about the time coming at American America is still kind of coming out of the Great Depression as a start right. of World War II. Um, and so I, I think it's in the government's trying to gauge the the effects of the Great Depression. Right. And I think that's shown, especially in how many children were ever born to women, because there mm-hmm. obviously there was, there was a lot of um, child mortality during that time due to the economic and, and environmental conditions. So um, it's interesting that the, that in a way uh, that the, how the census can be used as a tool. And I think that yes. gets us into yeah. our next our next part is the purpose right. of, of the census. Right. That is super interesting how the questions or the way that the census is shaped reflects the time. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there's a purpose of gathering this data and those questions are designed to to, to gauge where we are you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As a society and, and, the, and the relevance of the questions to that time. Right. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. Another thing I found super interesting was, um, you mentioned this, but it's the census is mandated by the Constitution and then funded by the legislator and then carried out by the executive branch. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of harks back to that balance of power and every every branch of the government kind of has, not every branch, but you know, there's it's split to, for everyone to kind of have a role mm-hmm. in this process. Exactly. And, and then, you know, the, the director of the Census Bureau, mm-hmm. Stephen Dillingham, is, um, has to be confirmed by the Senate. Right. So he's nominated by the president and then confirmed. Confirmed by the Senate. And he was confirmed in, um, he was confirmed in late 2018, early 2019, mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, he's, 
he seems to be fairly qualified. I mean, I'm not us to make a judgment, but right. he has a PhD in political science. Oh, okay. He's worked for statistical agent for um, agencies that deal with statistics mm. and stuff like that. So this is in his wheelhouse. Right. So he seems to be fairly qualified mm-hmm. uh, for this position. Okay. Wow. Okay. So like you mentioned, statistics. We u- we get statistics from the census, but what do we use them for, Jake? So there's three kind of really broad like purpose. Yeah. Purposes for the for the census right. and the government takes those statistics that the census gathers and it, they use it to allocate congressional seats. Mm-hmm. So when we talked about voting and um and how our you know our you know our leaders are elected, mm-hmm. those congressional districts are 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 divided by proportion and population. Yes. So it's that's very important to have a clear and accurate count of how many people are living in a particular area because that determines the number of congressional representatives. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So um, it can't exceed four hundred and thirty-eight, right. but it, it what they can do is it can redraw the boundaries based on you know migration. That's why also like you know, migration que- internal migration questions yes. are important because it shows how different um, over a ten-year period mm-hmm. where there's been shifts in population, so that that makes it. So we can redraw those those uh, congressional boundaries. Oh, an interesting uh, statistic that I read um, last night was that only one state has lost population during the last census period. Which one was that? So from 2000 to 2010, Michigan's population fell 0.6 percent, um, and experts attribute that to the loss of jobs in the auto industry. Interesting. Okay. So, so that's this. Statistic and this this information is showing that migration or possible migration, mm-hmm. um, but also you know if experts are analyzing this data, w- they're now looking. Okay, what is the reason for that? And in this example, they're looking at the the loss of jobs in the industry. That's a really good point. Yeah, and I think um, to carry on with with the um, allocating of you know allocating people. of our of our of people yeah. and how that relates to how we elect our leaders. Right. The second. Um, the second kind of purpose of the the census is to assign how many electoral votes a state gets. Right. So, right. bringing in your Michigan example, mm-hmm. a decrease in population, depending upon how much, right. can shift how many electoral points that a that a state has, electoral votes that a state has mm, right, in right. electing the president. So, you know, Michigan being a a pretty um, a pretty big battleground state. It mm-hmm. was it was incredibly important in the 2016 election. Um, you could see how a you know a one or two uh, you know point drop in their electoral points can can could greatly affect an election. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. In the the last kind of purpose, mm-hmm. broad purpose. There's a little, there's there's more to it, but right. the last broad purpose is f- funding for government programs. Yeah. Um, so the federal government or the, well, really it's the, the federal government, um, will allocate, uh, money and resources to government programs based on population centers and how much, and it's, it's a proportional amount of money based on how much population a particular state or city has. So understanding what the population is, the demographic breakdown, the economic breakdown, um, understanding those, you know, social political dynamics mm-hmm. helps the federal government figure out where those where their money is best being used right yeah absolutely i have here that many federal state and local government plans and funds so even planning for for programs and again allocating Mm -hmm. those funds are directly reflected in the information gathered by the census okay yeah one of the ways our constitution preserves our rights is to require the government to conduct a census every 10 years 
It helps determine how you're represented in Congress and what kinds of government services you find in your community. So be a part of this great democracy. Answer the census. It counts for more than you think. So on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to look at the historical and contemporary contentions of the census. I'm Jake. And I'm Jeff. And you're listening to To the Republic. KXRW Community Radio wants to thank our friends and sponsors at Boomerang Therapy Works, where exercise is medicine. At Boomerang, they offer a variety of one-on-one treatment options that can be tailored to your health and wellness. They offer physical therapy, massage therapy, personal trainers, exercise programs, group classes, and specialize in customized Parkinson's treatments. Located in downtown Vancouver, more info available at boomerangtherapyworks.com, where exercise is medicine. KXRW Vancouver 99.9 FM is having their second annual backstage block party June 29th from 3 to 7 p.m. at Say Chow Taproom and Eatery. Meet and greet our new and current show hosts as well as the rest of the KXRW team. Dance to live music from five local bands. Performances by Part-Time Perfect, Syndicate, Half-Life Entertainment, The Al Perez Band, and Pride of the North Bank. There will be raffle drawings and silent auction. Several items have been generously donated from local businesses in our community. Tickets include Summer Buffet by Say Chow's Chef Peter, two drink tickets and one raffle ticket. Family friendly. Help support our radio community. Tickets and more info at www.kxrwvancouver.org. KXRW would like to thank our friends at New Vansterdam for supporting our radio community. New Vansterdam is the premier cannabis market in the Vancouver area. They carry a variety of cannabis products ranging from pre-rolls, vape cartridges and edibles, to CBD topicals, oils and tinctures. New Vansterdam is located in the Heights Shopping Center on the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen Road. Open 8 a.m. to 11 p.m., 365 days a year. More information available at newvansterdam.com. That's newvansterdam.com. Welcome back. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to To the Republic. In the last section, we discussed the establishment and history of the U.S. Census, how it's changed over time, and we explored the broad purposes that it's used for. We talked a little bit about who was included and excluded in the census. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about the difference between age in men and um, women, but excluding Native Americans. Um, And when we look historically, there's been a lot of groups, racial groups, who have been included and excluded throughout the history of the census. Um, And the problem with that, looking back, is, is you're not getting an accurate reading of who actually is a resident in the United States. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the, the an accurate reading on who who lives here or who provides or who is contributing to the economics because that's one thing that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, to look real quickly at how, how those definitions, those racial definitions have fluctuated over time um, because it does affect the statistics. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So... Looking historically, during the first few censuses, the government essentially lumped the country into two racial categories, um, white and black. But from 1850 to 1920, with the exception of 1900, it counted mixed race, quote, mulattoes as well. Um, In the 1890 census, they chose to further 
racial definitions by counting African Americans by quote one fourth black blood and quote one eighth black blood, and but it was only done for that year. Um, meanwhile, those of Chinese, Japanese, and American Indian descent started being counted at various points in the late 1800s and are still to this day. Um, and for three decades, quote Hindu quote was a category whereas a category for koreans was added in 1920 and then taken out in 1950 and then added back in in 1970 that's so interesting how just like they had these like differences and how they take and put in questions right right um and then a category for mexicans likewise appeared on the 1930 census only to be dropped immediately thereafter following complaints from the mexican government okay the most recent major change occurred in 2000 when it finally became possible to select more than one race. Interesting. It took until 2000 mm-hmm. to get to that point? To select multiple. Okay. So, we talked a little bit about how the government uses this data and this information. But in our undergrad program, we were required to do an in-depth original research paper Mm -hmm. and one of the things that both you and i looked at was racial definitions and the census information provided in the eras we were looking at yeah so i'll start with mine because chronologically mine was for sure mine was before (laughs) is it wasn't an era before yours um i specifically looked at the um hawaiian population in the pacific northwest Mm -hmm. um between 1800 and uh, about 1850 1860 and um, when the United States and, and the British Empire uh, decided to um, change the territorial boundaries in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and the United States formally annexed uh, this, you know, the, the Vancouver Clark County region um, all the way up to the, what is now the Canadian border, it left a lot of um, Hawaiians who had been working for the Hudson's Bay Company kind of in limbo. So what ended up happening in the 1850 census, where it was the first census taken in this territory, was that they they categorized the Hawaiians that were still living here as uh, mulatto, mm-hmm. as kind of fitting in with because the 1850, as you mentioned earlier, right. was that was the first census where that term was used. Right. So that would that would just denote somebody of mixed. Um, of mixed blood, but it could just be anybody who's not black or white. Right. 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 So, but if you looked at, you've looked further on the census data, they also required that the origin, the country of origin from that person be recorded. Mm -hmm. So that's the only way you could denote that that particular person was Hawaiian was that they came from the sandwich islands, which was a popular term for Hawaii at the time. Right. So that was the only determining factor, um, they they were they were checking off mulatto, but when you looked further down, it specified Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's super interesting. Well, so w- looking at mine, and this kind of reflects back on the idea of selecting more race or identifying as a mm-hmm. race. When you're filling this paper out, you're choosing your identity or 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 the term within this within the census that you identify with. And I looked at um. Mexican Americans, Chicanos, Latinos, Mexicans migrating into the United States. And I just used all of those terms. I used all of those terms because there is a large 
group of identifiers that people choose to identify with. Mm-hmm. And with the census, the problem that you have is people identifying under different terms. There are those who identify as Latino. There are those who identify as Mexican-American. There are those who identify as Chicano. Um, and with that, if you're limited by term in this census, you might not check a box or you might check, you know, a, not a wrong one. But so me being Mexican-American, half Mexican, I could choose white. And if there wasn't the option to choose multiple, then you don't understand the the ethnic background that I have. Mm-hmm. But now with this option of choosing multiple, I could choose white and Mexican-American or Mexican. So I just think that you you lose accuracy when you, when you have the census defining what people are mm-hmm. able to check. And it changes how it changes identity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Behind all those numbers there are real lives and real life stories. And when you put them all together, you see the patterns emerge. This is a profoundly important issue if we want to make good decisions about where we're going. We first have to know exactly who we are. Another topic that people can find contentious with the census is how much it costs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not cheap. <laughs> uh, through the inaugural census, it just cost $44,000 to conduct. But since then, it's kind of ballooned. You have some statistics on how on the prices? Yeah. Okay, what do you got? So in just the most recent census in uh-huh. 2010, it cost uh, $13 billion uh, to to conduct okay 5.4 billion of that was the operational costs mm-hmm. which was actually under budget they put they budgeted 7 billion mm-hmm. and only used four for budget for um like operation costs but mm-hmm. so they came in under but it still ended up costing 13 billion and there's concern now with how much the 2020 census is going to to uh to cost which right. is one of the re- try to mitigate that they're actually instituting for the first time an online participation right. option so you can actually fill out the um uh, the census online, which there are, that poses some problems, right? Accuracy problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are concerns about that, but they are trying to cut costs in that particular way. Right. Right? Understanding that, you know, how much things cost is definitely a, a, a hot button issue right. in today's political uh, culture. Right. Uh, to kind of put that into, um, try to break that down to the micro level, mm-hmm. um, it costs about $42 if you were to break that down to what it would cost like a per person, right. it's $42 per person to mm-hmm. conduct a census. Mm-hmm. Um, the It's interesting though that in China, it only costs the equivalent of one US dollar. And in India, their census only costs 40 cents per person. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the accuracy numbers are on right. that particular, um, uh, on those particular countries, but it's interesting kind of the cost disparity, right. but what it costs the U.S. to conduct it per person versus, you know, right. some other nations that have similar populations. Mm-hmm. One quick note that I wanted to make was that, you know, the the inflation of costs is a reflection of population growth. Um, but a note that I have here is that it also, there is a cost when people don't fill out their their censuses. There is, yeah. So it costs the U.S. forty-two cents in postage paid envelope um, when households mail their their forms back. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't fill it out and you don't mail it, it costs twenty-five dollars per person if someone has to go and knock on a door to get that information. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a huge fill it out. 
Yeah, <laughs> you're actually saving the, your your government some money, right? And 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 it's tax money that's paying that's used to pay mm-hmm. for this whole process. Um, but one, another interesting fact that I saw was that the legislator had only allocated funds um, for the 2020 census. The limit was the same. They 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 cut it off at the same limit for the 2010 census. Okay. So I'm wondering, you know, they're seeing this gradual growth of costs, mm-hmm. which we address right there, but maybe with the inclusion of the internet, that will cut some costs. Yeah. And especially since so well, in 2010, in 2010 census, the total population was estimated at 308,000, mm-hmm. uh, 308 million, sorry, yeah. with a percent, which was a percent change of 9.7%. From oh, the previous, wow. so okay. that's a that's a big population For increase. Sure. So you have to imagine that that's only going to grow, right? Um, between 2010 and 2020, absolutely. So yeah, costs are going to be are going to be higher. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that they're cutting, they're keeping the budget low, mm-hmm. even though we're seeing a pretty big increase in population. Yeah, more people to count, more data to compute, which may have prompted the online participation right. part part of it. That was maybe that was a, a foresight by mm-hmm. the Census Bureau, right? With that said, one thing that I wanted to bring up was this notion of efficiency. So I think that by developing the internet process, mm-hmm. that that helps with efficiency. Yeah, um, cuts hopefully cut costs, obviously on mail stamps, etc. Yeah. Um, but there also, you know, one point that I found in the research was that to avoid duplication of effort and expense on the government's part as well as the individuals and companies who must respond to the census. Mm -hmm. The Census Bureau makes an extensive use of other federal agencies' administrative records in compiling the statistical data. That's really interesting. So they're not, they're they're, they're cutting out information that they don't need to to ask again. Okay. They're using other agencies um, to fill in that information. So I just, I just, I read that and I thought that was such a great use um, of other government agencies but also just to i think i think it's a way to cut down on tax costs yeah i think it's it's good that they have those mechanisms built in right i think there's this kind of conception that the u.s government just is always inefficient right so it's nice when you see yeah a bureaucracy trying to be more efficient right uh, when i was doing my research um just to kind of put this into perspective mm-hmm. the smithsonian uh institute uh Basically, it, it described the census as the nation's largest civilian exercise. Right. So this is a massive undertaking. For sure. So, But I think it's something that in the minds of Americans is just kind of marginal, right? It, right. It just, it's something we have to do every 10 years that we don't really see the point of. But, right. And I think, I hope, I'm hoping that through this, mm-hmm. through To the Republic, people who are listening maybe gain a, a new understanding and appreciation for the massive undertaking and the purpose of the census. Right. The outcomes that are used by the government, but also by academics who want to provide data for their, for their research or to explain something. Um, and I think also businesses use it mm-hmm. for, for marketing and for, um, and they just kind of use it for overall decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, as we mentioned in the first section of, of this episode, you know, there is an economic portion to the census yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, trade associations, chambers of commerce, uh, businesses rely on this information for economic development, business decisions and strategic planning. Right. Right. So to recap, these are just a few of the historical contentions or issues that people have, um, you know, looking at the census or or identifying racially when filling out these forms. But overall, there's a lot of 
benefits of this program. For sure. And with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to look at the current citizenship question that is being proposed for the 2020 census. I'm Jake. And I'm Jeff. And you are listening to To the Republic. The Pioneer East neighborhood in Ridgefield, Washington is hosting a block party. Kids can meet special guests, Princess Jasmine, Belle, Tinkerbell, Anna, and Elsa. There will also be face painting, a bouncy house obstacle course, giveaways, and more. Food and beverages will be provided, and the first 30 kids will get photos with the princesses. The event is on June 8th, 12 to 4 p.m., and the princesses will be there from 12 to 3 p.m. For more information on the event and their homes, visit their Facebook page titled Pioneer East Ridgefield or call 360-600-5380. Support for KXRW comes from the Ridgefield Raptors, Southwest Washington's own college summer wood bat baseball team, now offering group night packages. To find out more information on pricing and how to spend a night at the ballpark with your family, friends, coworkers, sports league, or special group, just call 360-887-0787 or visit the website at ridgefieldraptors.com. That's ridgefieldraptors.com. Community radio like this is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics, Clark County's local print shop since 1993. ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. Welcome back to To The Republic. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. In the last section, we looked at historical contentions and racial definitions on the U.S. Census. We also looked at the costs of the census, both tangible and intangible. So now we're going to look at the questions that are going to be included on the census, and most importantly, the proposed U.S. citizenship question. Right. So what are some of the questions that are going to be asked um, in 2020? So some of the broad categories are going to include Mm -hmm. age, age, there's Hispanic origin, okay, which I find interesting. That is it, interesting. That it's in, and that's right after the proposed citizenship question mm-hmm. in the census's PDF that I that I was oh, looking at. Oh, okay. Um, race, uh, relationship, mm-hmm. sex, tenure. So whether like if you're an owner or a renter. Oh, okay, gotcha. In operational questions such as, um, you know, what you know, what kind of job you have, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So to kind of get into that Hispanic origin question right. that we were kind of unsure about, I have the actual question okay. here and I'll just read it off. Yeah. It says, um, is this person of Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin? Hmm. And the options are no, not of Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mexican, um, Mexican or Chicano. Mm-hmm. Yes, Puerto Rican. Yes, Cuban. Yes, another Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin. Print for example, then they give you a space where you can write it in. So it's interesting. Wow. So it's kind of interesting. You know, we we're talking in the last section yeah. about um, the need for you know to have these ability to for people to really truly identify themselves, mm-hmm. and it seems like in a way, right, the census has kind of addressed that for sure. Yeah, and and you know we've we've looked historically and and how it has evolved and fluctuated on different identifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just interested in thinking about how just future censuses and what will come eventually. Yeah. Um, but 
is this a reflection of the time? Is this a reflection of 2020? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and and historically, when we look historically, we, we can see that these questions and these identifiers were a reflection of that time. And how how much further will this evolve and include sure. other identifiers? Well, definitely. And immigration is such a hot button issue right, right now in our country. And I think that that question is a reflection of the time. The concern is always about what these, I mean, these are just questions in themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But they exist not in a vacuum. Right. And they can be used as tools. Right. And I think that's the concern, especially with this proposed citizenship question right. is about what is, even though that it's, it's just a question in itself. Mm-hmm. What is, what is that being used for? What is its purpose? Right. And, I, and I think that is kind of that, you know, slippery slope argument that for I sure. think that the opponents of that, of that proposed question mm-hmm. would, would bring up. Um, but it is also interesting though, t- you know, just to reiterate that uh, even though they're asking, you know, about Hispanic origin mm-hmm. is that they're giving more than one option. And yes. that's not just trying to lump all of those different cultures, all of those different people and identities into, into one, you know, mulatto category right. or one black or white. Know, exactly. Right. So right. It, is, it is interesting to see how the census has evolved in the modern era. Absolutely. Real quick, before we get into that that notion of citizenship and and and, the, and that question being included, um, I think it's important to note that th- there is a level of confidentiality in the census reports. Um, the sole purpose of the censuses and surveys is to secure a general statistical information, but by law, no one, neither the census takers nor any other census bureau employee is permitted to reveal identifiable information about any person, household, or business. But with that said, in current censuses, um, once the information with individuals' names and addresses dropped has been transferred to machines, readable form, and processed through the computer to produce statistical tables. The original questionnaires can be destroyed and the waste recycled. Interesting. Okay. So there is this process of protecting that information, um, but protecting that information from the public. And mm. I think that that's where the concern is, is that the government still has that information. And if you're going to answer this citizenship question the government will have that data yeah and i think that that's where the concern is i think yeah definitely and, and that's that's a huge that would be a huge concern yeah um to that particular demographic right that, that population so looking into this question of citizenship and including it on the census the trump administration has said that it wants to collect citizenship data from all households through the 2020 census to help better enforce the Voting Rights Act protections against discrimination of racial and language minorities. Okay. That's an interesting justification. Yeah. And if you... I don't want to get too much into the into voting rules and voting right. and rights and how all of that works. Mm-hmm. But... If you we have it, we do have an episode on that. So yes. go back and listen to our voting our voting episode. However, we have through in that episode we conclude that voter fraud is negligible at best mm-hmm. in in our elections. Right. And also through our research for this episode, we can we've kind of come to the determination that the administration is also going to use voter fraud, mm-hmm. this issue of voter fraud that they, you know, they keep using to um, to put this question on the census. They're justifying it with that. Mm-hmm, they are. And in our in our voting episode in our research, we found that that's not an issue. 
And and the problem, I think the the larger problem is if if the goal of this census is to get statistics and to get data of who are residents in the United States, I imagine that there's going to be a fear to answer honestly that question. And and I think that projections have indicated that right there's a uh, a think tank called the urban institute that mm-hmm. has looked specifically at what could the effects be of this inclusion of the inclusion of this question right and they they project that um the latino community could be mm-hmm. undercounted by over 2.2 million jeez because of them maybe not even the household them the household owner being um, of not of you at not being yeah. a US naturalized citizen, but people in their household are. So therefore, their whole household doesn't participate. Right. Um, or even those individuals, even though they're living here, they're working here, mm-hmm. they're not participating in that. They're not participating because the they census. don't. They they're afraid of if they how they answer. Yeah. What kind of ramifications are going to be on that? Right. Right. And and I'm just thinking now back to that that broadening of identifiers for Hispanics or Latinos, mm-hmm. um, which is great. You're not going to get the answers to those questions or you're not going to get those boxes checked if people are afraid to even take the census. Yeah, this is even amplified, um, especially, you know, in the time Mm -hmm. uh, with increased immigration enforcement and anti-immigrant rhetoric around the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Urban Institute feels that even if the uh, court rules against this. So we had mentioned in the first segment that the Supreme Court is actually looking at this. There was a lawsuit against the federal government for this inclusion. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court is weighing whether the federal government has a constitutional right to put a citizenship question on the census. Um, So, but anyway, the Urban Institute um, concludes that even if the, the court rules against that question being included, mm-hmm. it's already poisoned the well for participation amongst mm-hmm. the Latino community because they're all they're going to they're going to continue to be scared to participate. They're right. going to feel marginalized. Right. So there, um, there already seems to be effects right. from just the, the, proposal the proposal of yeah. this question. And look, real quick, I want to note that Jake and I are not having the, a conversation about immigration or citizenship regarding people migrating to the country that's not what this question is about or this this conversation is about um we can do a whole episode on that what this is about is the census Mm -hmm. and the the purpose of the census the purpose of the data and and the reasons that we've done it for centuries exactly (laughs) and and we're i think we're coming at this from a place of how does this que- how does this question yes affect the usefulness right and accuracy of the census absolutely That's, that is the lens in which we were looking at this question from so one one more thing that I wanted to bring up um, regarding the citizenship question um, is is in reference to the American Community Survey survey so the, as you mentioned earlier Jake the census is taken every ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so in response to the common complaints that this sample data from the decennial censuses are published too late or are they're quickly out of date, the Census Bureau began its American Community Survey program in 1996 Okay. Um, with the full in- implementation scheduled for 2003, which it was. The ACS is a way to provide the data communities need every year instead of once in 10 years. Interesting. Um, the ACS will provide estimates of demographic, housing, social, and economic characteristics every year for all states as well as all cities, counties, 
metropolitan areas and population groups of 65,000 or more? And you actually have a list of those questions. Yeah. So the, the broad questions are acreage and agricultural sales. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just by, uh, this is listed as in um, alphabetical order. So okay. age, ancestry, commuting. So how do people get to work? Mm-hmm. Uh, computer and internet use, disability, fertility, grandparent caregivers, health insurance, Hispanic origin, home uh, heating fuel, mm-hmm. home value and rent, income, industry occupation and uh, class of worker, labor force status, language spoken at home, marital, dis- marital status and mar- marital history, migration, place of uh, birth, citizenship and year of entry, plumbing facilities, kitchen facilities and telephone service, race, relationship, school environment, selected monthly uh, owner costs, sex, supplemental nutrition assistance, tenure, units and structure, vehicles available, veteran status, work status, year built and year mo- moved in, and, operating que- and then further operating questions. Right. So you can see this is very encompassing. Very encompassing. And there's a citizenship question on that survey. Mm-hmm. So it's already included in this, censor- in this census process. Yes. In one element of it Mm -hmm. so that is one argument that i've found in the research is if we're already doing this on a regular basis not not in this broad every 10 year census but more regularly through the through the acs then what is the purpose of including it in that census especially with the potential consequences that it could have exactly you were saying though that the citizenship question in the um in the community survey Mm -hmm. is has a like a preface to it though right yeah so it asks you know what is your country of origin or your or your birth country okay um and then it's followed up by are you a naturalized citizen so have you become a citizen Mm -hmm. of the united states so so it does preface it with um you could be a citizen just born out of this country instead of just a yes or no are you a citizen in Mm -hmm. the united states okay I, I wonder how that has affected participation. We don't have those numbers, but I wonder how that has affected participation in the American uh, community survey. That's an interesting point, Jake. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have that data in front of us now, but that is something that, if you're listening, totally look into that um, because I'm sure the statistics are there thanks to the census. <laughs> yes, um, it, but, the, but then you know, also when yeah. we're, we're just kind of the effects of this, mm-hmm. right? So what happens if you have... Uh, Latino community, uh, the Latino demographic mm-hmm. in the United States, undercounted by over two million people. Yeah, what kind of effects is that going to have? I mean, right. that could have huge effects on redistricting. Um, mm. It can it can have a huge effect on you know representation. Yes. You know, the whole House of Representatives is based on proportional representation. Yes, and if you have undervalued, you have overestimated or overcounted mm-hmm. in proportion mm-hmm. of of like you know people of of, of the white of who are white mm-hmm. versus an undercount of people who are Latino mm-hmm. that could completely change how a particular community is going to be represented both in the state legislature right. and in the national legislature. So you're talking about huge demographics being under underrepresented mm-hmm. in a, in a governmental structure that is built on proportional representation. Wow. So you're just talking yes. about like the, well the, the yeah. macro, like kind of like the macro, you know, this is such like, it looks like a mic, very micro. Yes issue but you can see that it has macro level mm-hmm. implications mm-hmm. you could just argue that oh it's just a question it's just a question on this the survey but like you're saying there are larger implications or larger ramifications of people 
being fearful to participate in this. So you look at the the effects and then you look at, okay, well, what is the justification of it? Why is this being put? And you look, okay, the justification is to protect against voter fraud. Right. But if you look at the statistics of voter fraud, they're not there. They right. don't, they, it doesn't, the, the cost benefit analysis of this question being on the census doesn't seem to add up. Right. And that's just, that's where I'm coming from with, with this. I'm right. not trying to make a normative argument. And right. I think we, we tried to not do that on this, on this platform. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to look at this purely as what are the costs associated with it and what are the potential benefits, and I don't think the numbers compute there. Right. And another consequence, Jake, of not having this accurate, this accurate representation of, of, of people or citizens, or not citizens, or, or residents in this mm-hmm. country is the funding, the federal funding, the state funding, the local government funding, and their plans, mm-hmm. like we mentioned in the first section. Yeah. If we don't have an accurate number or representation of who's in the country, then the way that that money is allocated could be affected, or the way that those plans or programs mm-hmm. are are developed yeah. could be could be hindered by this. Yeah. And like what you said, there could be a household of a demographic and there and there's one person in there who may not be a citizen. So now the whole household is fearful to participate in that. Mm-hmm. That's a larger number of American citizens that you're now missing out on. Exactly. And, you know, socioeconomically, immigrant communities are um, do use do rely on social programs. Mm-hmm. I won't. I don't want to. I don't want to be generalized, but right. but they. I don't want to generalize, but they do rely on social programs. So having right. a skewed amount of funding because of inaccuracies in the census mm-hmm. can really hurt the amount of of uh, hurt hurt the amount of funding that is available for those programs that you know immigrants rely on. Right. People who are citizens, but they're from an immigrant community, mm-hmm. um, and so not having that those social programs there, what that can do on the macro, on the macro scale mm-hmm. is it, it, it makes those communities feel marginalized and less willing to participate um, in other areas of right. government. They're less likely to, you know, less likely to vote, less likely to, um, to, you know, participate in, in other ways that, that their benefit is felt to society yes. as a whole. When, when a person doesn't feel like they are, um, they're not accepted, they're mm-hmm. not part of the greater society, the society as a whole, this is a very uh, sociological concept, mm-hmm. but you have, you lose that, you, the society as a whole loses that benefit. And I think that right. is a little more conceptual about how uh, of an effect, but I think it's, it's worth, it's worth the talk. It's worthwhile talking about and, mm-hmm. and then to further analyze. Right. One, one thought that I had real quickly was that this idea of funding social programs, if you have immigrants coming into the country, a lot of social programs are developed and and used and created to help immigrants and migrants get their citizenship. Mm-hmm. So if you're not funding those types of social programs, you're not helping these people ch- find a way to become naturalized and, a, and an active member and citizen of the United States. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about this morning in our first episode about immigration, about mm-hmm. what type of social programs non-citizens are entitled to. Um, it is very little, yeah. um, but we're talking about the immigrant population as a whole, not yes. just non-citizens. Right. I, just wa- I just wanted to clarify Absolutely. that. All right, Jake. Well, we're almost out of time. <laughs> yeah, we're on a strict 58-minute <laughs> deadline. Well, this has been fun. I'm glad to, to get back to this. Um, we were both talking earlier how it felt kind of good to get back into history and mm-hmm. doing this this type of research. Yeah, as our um, academic careers have 
shifted us away from mm-hmm. our roots in history, it's nice to get back and look at things from a historical right. perspective. Right. Well, I just wanted to reiterate real quickly that if you've enjoyed this program and you want to participate or have ideas for Jake and I to explore and further discuss in other episodes, um, reach out to us at our podcast email. Our podcast is called Say What You Mean Podcast. And our email is podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's podcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you guys have enjoyed this show, be sure to check out our weekly podcast called Say What You Mean. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And we'd like to thank you guys for listening to our show. You can find the past episodes of this show on www.kxrwvancouver.org or on our podcast feed. And remember to vote and stay informed. Carpet City of Vancouver is a local flooring business and family-owned for 44 years. Flooring options include carpet, hardwood, laminate, tile, stone, and countertops. Carpet City of Vancouver is more than just a flooring specialty store. They are expert trained in flooring and design for kitchens, living rooms, bedrooms, and bathrooms. Carpet City of Vancouver can help you find the floor for the way you want to live. More information available at www.carpetcityofvancouver.com. Support for KXRW comes from David's Trains, buyer and collector of old toy trains, including Lionel, Flyer, Ives, and Marks. He is interested in old transportation-related toys as well as toy trains from the late 1800s to the 1960s. For appraisal, you can call him at 360-576-1602. That's 360-576-1602. KXRW Vancouver 99.9 FM is having their second annual backstage block party June 29th from 3 to 7 p.m. at Say Chow Taproom and Eatery. Meet and greet our new and current show hosts as well as the rest of the KXRW team. Dance to live music from five local bands. Performances by Part-Time Perfect, Syndicate, Half-Life Entertainment, The Al Perez Band, and Pride of the North Bank. There will be raffle drawings and silent auction. Several items have been generously donated from local businesses in our community. Tickets include Summer Buffet by Say Chow's Chef Peter, two drink tickets and one raffle ticket. Family friendly. Help support our radio community. Tickets and more info at www.kxrwvancouver.org.